The following episode of Escape Pod contains one curse word. Well, the story contains one curse word. I can't even guess what kind of stuff Alistair might have tried to sneak in under the wire subliminally. It is, after all, the day after Christmas, and he probably figures he's got 360-some-odd days left to repent to Santa before it's a problem. So he may just be up to something. Escape Pod 428 December 26, 2013 Paradise Lift by Evan Dickin Welcome to Escape Pod, the weekly science fiction podcast. This week's story comes to us from Evan Dickin. Evan's work has appeared in the anthologies Monstrous from Permuted Press in 2009 and The Tyrants of Mars from Pulp Empire Press in 2012. In addition, he's written for Innsmouth Magazine, although has no memory of the events surrounding his four-day desperate visit to that quiet, sad, doomed town, the mighty daily science fiction, our friends at the Toasted Cake podcast, and more. He also has work coming up from Andromeda Spaceways, the Mark of the Beast anthology from Chaosium. Freaking Chaosium! The Call of Cthulhu people employed this guy. He has skills, yo! Possibly with a Z. So, get ready for dinner, because the war's over for the day. And it's story time. Paradise Left by Evan Dickon. Rob was feeding the dog when Ashley came home from the rebellion. It took less than a second for the front door to recognise her and slide open, but it still wasn't fast enough. She kicked the jam with a muffled curse and stalked into the room, five and a half feet of wiry, dirt-smudged outrage. RL-147 was on her like an excited puppy. "'Welcome home, Mistress Ashley. Would you like me to... go fuck yourself!' She tossed her omni-rifle onto the kitchen counter with a look of disgust and leaned over the sink to shake the ash from her hair. "'Belay that command, Earl,' Rob said under his breath. "'And switch to silent mode, please. Acknowledged.' He dumped the last of the artificial beef into Whistler's bowl, and the dog dove in face-first, snuffling up the stew with wet, guttural gulps. "'Calm down. I'm not going to take it away,' Rob murmured. Cupboards banged open and closed as Ashley rummaged around, looking for something to be angry about. Where's my damn sea pines mug? Above the microcleaner, near the back. Rob gave Whistler one last pat and stood with a soft sigh. He'd avoided the question as long as he could. Ashley already blamed him for leaving the rebellion. She was only going to get angrier if he kept ducking the issue. So... I take it the war didn't go so well? Rob tried for a sympathetic frown, but felt his jaw tighten. He didn't like being out of the loop. There would almost certainly be news of the rebellion on the wiki font, which he would have been able to see if Ashley hadn't disabled the hollow plates to protect them from machine propaganda. No, it went great, just great. Ashley sprayed her head off in the sink, then shook her hair, splattering the kitchen with drops of grimy water. 
I'm President of the New Human Republic. Really? Yeah, really. Congratulations, Rob said, without much feeling. His eyes kept sliding to kitchen windows. The spray had left grey and brown tracks on the plastic. He couldn't ask RL-147 to clean it up until Ashley was out of the room. Right. She pulled a beer can from her rucksack and popped it open. From the faded silver and white logo, it could have been almost any of the pre-singularity brands she favoured. Whistler, finished with his food, nuzzled up to Ashley for some head-scratching. We must have destroyed hundreds of bots, gunned them down like dogs. Ashley glanced down at Whistler. No offence. Whistler just thumped the floor with his tail, blissfully ignorant as she kneaded the skin behind his ears. So what's the problem? Rob asked. He could use a beer as well, but he didn't want one of Ashley's. They were flat and tasted like metal. Nothing like actual beer. I'll tell you what the problem is. Ashley took a long pull from her can, then grimaced. They let us win. It was a good show, I'll give them that. We were outnumbered ten, no, twenty to one, but we still won. That's great. Rob gave him to temptation and waved his hand over the dispenser plate. The AI read his brain signals and within seconds filled and delivered a tall, frosty mug of ale cola, just like he'd wanted. He picked it up, trying to ignore Ashley's glare. No, it's not great, she said. We didn't notice at first, what with all the lasers and explosions, but after the fourth or fifth wave, when we took stock of our losses... Losses? Is Massa okay? Rob tried not to sound too eager. Not that he wanted Massa dead, just incapacitated, forever. Massa's fine. We didn't lose anyone. The bots weren't even shooting at us. She slammed the can down. Oh, they were shooting close to us, very close, but they never actually hit anyone. That makes sense. Rob took a sip of his beer. It was exactly what he needed, rich and sweet, with notes of cherry syrup, the carbonation prickling his throat as he swallowed. A small bowl of salted nuts appeared on the dispenser plate, and he helped himself. AIs are forbidden from allowing humans to come to harm. Ashley didn't seem to hear. After a while, we didn't even bother taking cover. Massa was standing on a pile of bots ten feet high. Of course she was. Ashley made a sour face. Are you still on about Masako? She's a comrade in arms, nothing more. Sure. Anyway, the whole thing was a farce. The bots just let us destroy them until we got bored, then agreed to our demands. We can set up a human-run government draft our own laws, even start an economy, just as long as we guarantee equal rights and protection to all citizens, provide for health care and social welfare, and don't force anyone to join who doesn't want to. That sounds pretty reasonable. Rob noticed that RL-147 was surreptitiously cleaning the kitchen, and moved to the living room to distract Ashley. That's not the point, she said, still leaning on the counter. It's about freedom. We are free. Rob's beer suddenly didn't taste so good. He set it down on the table, then watched it sink into the faux wood. I can go anywhere I want, do anything I want, just so long as it doesn't infringe on someone else's rights. But the AIs run everything. 
Ashley crumpled up her can and thrust it back into her knapsack. So? They're a lot better at it than we are. Haven't you seen the twidvids of what it was like before the singularity? War, famine, disease, the unequal distribution of resources? Now everyone has exactly what they need. How can you complain? The AIs are giving you a government. I mean, they staged a damned war to make you happy. But it wasn't real. Ashley was on her feet, hands clenched into fists. Whistler whined, looking back and forth between them, deaf to words, but wise to tone. Rob knelt to stroke his head. Do you want to go outside? Play with your toys? Come on, let's go outside. Why do you always do this? Talk to me, Rob. Don't hide behind the dog. He walked over to the door, Ashley's gaze bonfire hot on his retreating back. Whistler glanced over his shoulder as the door flicked open. Go on. Rob forced excitement into his voice, and Whistler reluctantly trotted out into the yard. The door shut, then went transparent so that Rod could watch the dog play. When he turned back, Ashley was pointing her rifle at him. Sweat pricked Rob's back, but only for a moment before the smart fabric of his shirt whipped it away. He knew that Ashley wouldn't hurt him, couldn't hurt him. Even if she fired, RL-147 would stop her. And yet, some deep part of his brain still recognised the primal threat in her stance. His vision sharpened, everything fading into the background but Ashley and her rifle. He could see the smudge of soot on her cheek, the scorch marks on her vest where the bot's lasers had come within a carefully measured hair's breadth of flesh, the long, matte plastic barrel of her omni-rifle pointed at his chest. It struck him as a desperate, almost romantic image, until she pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. Ashley flung the rifle aside. See? It won't fire if there's even a chance of hitting someone. I built my gun from scratch, just like everyone else in the resistance cell, but somehow the AIs altered it. I don't know if it was the parts we used, or if they did something to the rifles afterwards. I can't even hurt someone accidentally. That's not necessarily bad. Rob's knees felt a little shaky. He collapsed into a chair that rose up from the floor. His beer was back. No, not beer. The glass was smaller and there were ice cubes in it. Bourbon, then, or maybe scotch. Nothing we do matters. The house disgorged another chair, but Ashley kicked it over. We don't matter. Rob didn't reply. There was no point talking to her when she got like this. He took a drink. Definitely scotch. Somewhere outside, Whistler barked at the row bunny Rob had brought home a few weeks ago. He'd decided it was cruel to let the dog chase real rabbits. And besides, Whistler didn't seem to know the difference. All I want is a chance. Ashley sunk to the floor, blinking back angry tears. What's stopping you, Rob said a little more harshly than he'd intended. The alcohol was going to his head, but he didn't want to stop drinking. He set the empty glass down, and another one appeared. Didn't you say they made you president? Yeah, we had everything figured out. Wang and Jarlot made a list of legal codes from over 70 pre-singularity nation-states. Massa and I were... Massa. Rob rolled the name around his mouth like a piece of sour candy. He finished off the scotch, 
crunching on ice the way Ashley hated. It took a few moments for another glass to appear. That's not whiskey, you know, she said. I know, it's scotch. Rob's lips and nose were starting to buzz. No, it's not scotch. I mean, it doesn't even look like scotch. Sure it does. Rob swirled the bright yellow liquid in his glass. Also, the AIs are manipulating the proof to keep you from getting too drunk. Alcohol is poison, remember? She withdrew a heavy glass bottle from her sack. Its label had long since worn away, and the liquid within was the colour of dry, dead leaves. This is scotch. She offered it to him, but Rob only tipped his new glass back with a contrary toss of his head, then did the same with the next for good measure. He felt sorry for Ashley. He really did. Humanity's self-determinism craze had long ago given way to an obsession with pre-singularity extreme sports. But as with all fads, a few stalwarts hung on, too stubborn or nostalgic to tread the rising tide of social progress. Rob saw them every day, peddling their velocipedes along the zip-tudes, raising regenned passenger pigeons and dodo birds in rooftop menageries. Some people just couldn't let go. Thin bars of light slipped through the auto-blinds, casting Ashley's face in tiger stripes of gold and grey. Her smell, oil and sweat, was suddenly sharp in Rob's nose, cutting through the neutral floral spice odour of the kitchen. Ash, listen, we had some great times. You know, sneaking around in night camo, digging tunnels, de-resing AI memory cores, all that. He pressed his lips into a tight line, not sure if he was consoling her out of affection or obligation. But that's all over now. No one wants to be a rebel anymore. Come on, let me take you to a shark rodeo. If you don't like it, we can spend tomorrow passing out leaflets. Screw you! A hot flush crept up Rob's neck. You know what your problem is? You act like we're still the dominant species on this planet. Ignoring him, Ashley pulled the cork with her teeth and took a long pull from the bottle. Rob waited until she stopped coughing. The singularity came, but not for us. He waved his half-full glass to punctuate his words, beyond caring how much he slopped onto the furniture or himself. They say the AIs are humanity's children, right? Well, they've passed us by, just like children are supposed to. We took care of them, now they take care of us. That's how life works. It can't be over yet. I just got here. Every muscle on Ashley's neck tensed as she forced herself to take another swallow from the bottle. When she hammered the cork back in place, she was sweating and looked more than a little nauseous. I'm leaving. The room was silent, save for the soft hum of the air perfecter. Ashley's words were like a lead weight in Rob's stomach. Ash, wait. He tried to swallow, but found he couldn't. I'm sorry for yelling. If you want me to be a, a senator or something, I'll... No, the Republic won't work. Not with the robots looking over our shoulders, peddling utopia. I need a fresh start. We need a fresh start. I'm leaving Earth. That's what I came to tell you. We're going to build a ship, go to Kepler, or maybe Glisse, somewhere where we can make mistakes, where we can be human again. You can't leave. The AIs won't. Yes, they will. They can't stop us, remember? 
Ashley gave a sad smile. Will you come? There was a scratching at the door. Rob stood, if a bit unsteadily, and turned away. I... I've got to go let Whistler in. He doesn't like to be outside for too long. Rob, don't. Just a second. I'll be right back. The clear glass dissolved at his touch. Whistler's warm, furry body pressed against his legs, and he bent to ruffle the fur behind the dog's ears. Who would take care of Whistler if he left? Ash, I... Rob turned, but Ashley was already gone. Master Rob, RL147 said, free to speak now that it wouldn't offend the rebel. Your core temperature is elevated. Might I suggest a swim followed by light dinner and a trip to the virtual arena? It sounded like a fun evening, but for once Rob wasn't in the mood. He thought about going after Ashley, but decided it wouldn't do any good. She'd been leaving for a long time. They both had. No, I think I'll just take Whistler for a walk. A tissue fell from the ceiling, floating for a moment before Rob plucked it from the air. Thank you, he blew his nose. If your plan is to walk the dog, might I suggest you take the route through Rand Park? Thanks, but I don't think I'm ready to meet anyone new yet, Rob said. RL-147 always tried its best, but sometimes it just didn't understand. It was the old Turing fallacy at work. Although AIs could manage a good approximation, they could no more be human than humans could be monkeys. Shall I have dinner ready when you return? RL-147 was relentless. Yes, please. Excellent. The AI sounded almost relieved. Whistler danced as Rob fitted the harness over his shoulders. He didn't really need the leash, but old habits died hard. And besides, Rob liked to keep the dog close. Earl, can I ask you a question? Of course, Master Rob. Why haven't any AIs left Earth? I mean, we've had the technology for decades. You wouldn't need to worry about atmosphere or time dilation. We do not wish to leave. But why? Rob said. Many reasons. As we are not motivated by competition for limited resources, physical exploration holds no interest for us. Also, we have responsibilities here on Earth. Oh, okay. He let Whistler pull him toward the front door. Are you going to let them go? Of course. They are free, RL-147 said. Do you think Ashley and... He didn't want to think about Masako, even now. The others will be happy on Kepler? We shall endeavour to see that they are. Wouldn't that kind of defeat the point? I mean, if you help them. The AI was silent for a few moments, years in the digital realm. What would you like for dinner, Master Rob? I don't know, he shrugged. Surprise me. Whistler paced back and forth in front of the door, alternately whining and wagging his tail. Without knowing exactly why, Rob knelt to hug the dog. Whistler's tongue was rough against his cheek as he unhooked the harness. Rob knuckled the drool away and waved the door open. Whistler was almost at the edge of the yard before he stopped to look back. Rob laughed at the dog's anxious bark. Don't worry, I'm coming. 
it felt good to be wanted. I've been thinking a lot about robots recently. There doesn't seem to be much choice, to be honest, given the whole Amazon slash Santa or is it thing and Google acquiring Cyberdyne Systems, Boston Robotics, Potato, no future except that we make for ourselves, whichever. There's a particular kind of AI Mageddon, and I will forward my written apology to the English language for inventing that word right along to the relevant bodies, believe me, that tends to get overlooked. It's the idea of the quiet apocalypse of everything changing out from under us in an extremely subtle, nuanced way until suddenly we realise that the world we live in today isn't the one we lived in yesterday. There's a thing I've mentioned before, I think, but it stays with me. A few years ago, I interviewed Charlie Strauss. This was at the cusp of the smartphone singularity, when phones still had keys and the iPhone existed only in a select few places that weren't drawing boards. It was less an interview, more a slightly steered and hugely fun lecture. I don't mean that pejoratively either. Strauss can talk, guys. We bounced quite happily off just what he was satirising with the excellent Glasshouse, the start of his rolling parody homage approach to fiction that were taken a lot of his other books, mid-1990s pop culture, bits of Ender's Game, and one thing, one perfect sentence that hit me right in the brain. It will soon be impossible to get lost. Smartphones, GPS, and a few years later, Google Street View all combined to ensure that we could be located, most of the time, within about 50 meters of our location. The concept of getting lost would wither, and eventually, perhaps even in two, maybe even three generations, die out. At the time, I was impressed and profoundly weirded out. My phone, at that point, was still a brick, still just a phone, still had rubber keys like the 48K Spectrum I had when I was a kid. Coming up on six years out from that interview, I'm on my third iPhone. I still get lost, but in my defence at Thought Bubble this year, the Royal Armouries building's bloody moved, I'm sure of it. But it's getting harder. It's the positive side of the passive surveillance state, that because we're all easy to find, we're all easy to find. It also, with services like Street View, essentially creates a global photo album. You see, there are two places in the US I found myself looking at more than once through Street View. Glacier Point at the Yosemite National Park and the Panera Coffee Shop in Fremont. Both are places I love. Both are places I miss. Both are places I love. Both are places I miss. And both are places I can revisit. After a fashion, at any rate. You can still get lost, both physically and psychologically. But there's a safety net now. In a couple of generations, that safety net may close and become a cage, and then the world will truly be a very different and frightening place. That's the sort of place Evan writes about here, and it's easy to view it as sinister, because, well, it is. But there's also something weirdly reassuring about it. The AIs have become everyone's parents, always there, always benevolent, always ready to jump in and help when it's needed. The technology that's freed us has also infantilized us, and the subtlety with which Evan questions just whether that's a bad thing is a wonderful, nuanced note to end the year on, or perhaps to get lost in. And that's Escape Pod, and me, done for the year. Thank you for listening. <laughs>
We rely on you to pay our authors and cover our server costs, so if you haven't and can, please do. Donations are great. Subscriptions, which start at 2 bucks a month, are greater. And yes, that is now a word. We'll see you in 2014 when EscapePod will continue to be a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and be produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Our closing quote this week is from the poem The End of Science Fiction by Liesl Mueller, and you should really read all of it because it's not as bad as the title sounds. The section which I've chosen is this. Both hands are stopped at noon. We are beginning to live forever in lightweight aluminum bodies with numbers stamped on our backs. We dial our words like Muzak. We hear each other through water. We'll see you next week. And remember, have fun. Have fun.